0: but let's pray and we'll dig in together Jesus we thank you for the opportunity to be together to, uh, to lift up your name, to look at your scriptures to hear about what you are doing around the world and we pray Lord that you would bless our time uh, that we would be here with um, ears to hear hearts that are ready to be shaped and built up by you uh, Lord we want to know all that you have for us and we want to experience that above all else we love you Jesus we praise you in your name Amen All right. so just a little bit about celebrate generosity to to catch you up a few years back uh, when we started the church we uh, we came out from Kristen and I had done a leadership residency with Community Christian Church in Naperville Illinois and they did a similar expression uh, an opportunity uh, at the anniversary or the birthday of the church to give a ton of money away And one of the things that was really exciting for us as we were getting ready to start Anthem in Thousand Oaks is we wanted to come in and bring a gospel that, um, by all rights, the gospel is always countercultural, just so that you know. No matter what the culture is, where you go in the world, there is always something that the gospel will uh, make uncomfortable. It has the ability to force us to change wherever we're at. So it doesn't matter how Christian the environment is or how non-Christian the environment is, there's always something. And one of the things that we saw as we came into this community, this area, this way of life is that the gospel is going to press us on what we think about money, uh, how we express our understanding of money. Uh, This is a culture that is defined by things like greed and covetousness and selfishness and self-indulgence. That's part of the American ethos. It's part of our individuality. We love money and what it can do for us. So if the gospel is going to make us uncomfortable, that's one of the key areas that it's going to affect. And so we wanted to preach a gospel that was going to intentionally stir us up, cause us to act differently in a culture where people are, by definition, self-indulgent or selfish and, and greedy. Well, let's bring a gospel of generosity and compassion and grace. Let's understand what it means for us to apply Jesus to our lives and to see that affect the way that we view money. So that, that's where Celebrate Generosity came from. That was the heart behind starting this on, a, on an annual basis. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, if you're still waiting for a seat, we've got more seats coming in over on this side of things. So. And a lot of kids at the playground, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, so the way that we express this is on our on or around our birthday, every year uh, we do a big Sunday where we get our family of churches together. Anthem Ventura, Anthem Camarillo, Anthem Thousand Oaks, and now Anthem Denver. will all be getting together on Sunday, October 14th. Uh, And every every day that week leading up to that Sunday, all of the giving that comes in online, every check that comes in through the mail, and everything that comes in on that Sunday, 100% of that will all go towards Celebrate Generosity where we invest in these initiatives that we'll be sharing with you over the next three weeks. Our global initiatives, our local initiatives, and our reproducing church initiatives. We love it. It's an opportunity for us to stand up here and to dig into what the scriptures have to say about money and generosity without being the individual recipients of it. That was one of the interesting challenges of starting a church in 2009 in Southern California. We were still under the cloud of the recession, felt like nobody had any money, and everybody was really uncomfortable talking about money. And then in our area specifically, there had been a number of churches that had had some financial uh, improprieties go on in the churches, so there is a deep distrust of how churches were handling money. So I got to stand up and talk directly about money and say, and it's all going to those people, and it's really fun for me to be able to actually point out what the scriptures have to say about money, and to not feel like I'm trying to fundraise for our benefit, or to accomplish some project that we have, or to do something that we want to do, but to point 100% of that somewhere else. I think that's important. Because we need to stir up generosity in our hearts, but I don't want you to have skepticism about where the money's going or why we're doing this or what project we're trying to fund or what raise Matt wants to get or new car he's going to drive up in or anything like that. Um, A Corolla. A Toyota Corolla. That's what your uh, generosity has purchased. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. So that's, that's the dream is to be able to talk very clearly about this without any fear of Uh, the skepticism that builds up in us and to generate and stir us to something huge. Now I'll be honest, in my heart there's something that gets really excited about the idea of giving a massive number of dollars away every year. Last year it was over $200,000 that we were able to give and to celebrate generosity. That was church plants, that was Touch Nepal, Zoe International, Raising Hope, Foster Care Ministries. It was a lot of things that we got a chance to invest deeply in, and it's so much fun for me to do that. And I want that. I honestly, I want a bigger number than last year. I want a bigger number than last year, but... What we're going to see as we look into the scriptures is that's not the point of generosity. The, the size of the number is not the point of generosity, but I still get really excited about that, and I'll talk about it often, all right? So we're going to dig into the scriptures this morning. We're going to talk about the impact that uh, our generosity can have on, on a global story. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, as we dig into this, if you have been around for a while, Uh, Somebody brought this scripture to me last week in a moment of great need in my own life, and it was a huge encouragement to me, and I want to pass it on to you because we can get into the mode where we start to wonder, what am I doing? Does what I do even make a difference at all? And Paul wrote this, he actually wrote it twice, once to the Thessalonians and once to the Galatians. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And to the Galatians, he said, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want us to press in deeply to what God wants to do in and through this church. I don't want to get into the monotonous mode of this is what we do every year. I want, I want us to strive for more of what God has for us in our story and in this story of generosity. So I hope you're excited to hear about this. I hope it doesn't feel like same thing year after year after year. And if it does, don't grow weary of doing good because this stuff is awesome. We get to do incredible things with the resources that God has entrusted to us. And I'm very excited to walk through that. So let's get ready for that. All right. So generosity, money, is one of those uncomfortable realities of the gospel. Jesus talked about it often. He talked about generosity from the perspective of not doing it so that you get everybody's attention and you're the one that's waving your money around and putting it in the, uh, the, the hat or the, the plate or the bucket, whatever it is that's being used, not getting the attention for it, the praise for it, Uh, He highlights the widow who puts two coins in. Like, that's true generosity. That's what it means to have a heart of generosity. It is not about uh, how much ultimately is given, but it is about stirring yourselves to this life of generosity, being shaped by God's heart for us and for the nations. The reality is that most of us don't live with a ton of financial margin. And that's kind of the interesting thing about culture is whatever you make, However much money you have, there's always something that's just out of reach. There's always something that you want, that you're waiting for, that you're looking for, that you think would add an incredible amount of value to your life that is just out of reach. And that's the nature of our humanity. That is the, the definition of covetousness is that there's always something that we don't have. Now you could take anybody at any socioeconomic bracket and you could say there's something that's just out of reach that you can't quite get to that you really want. And the important part for us as we walk into this is starting to shape a different way. What does it look like for us to shape a different heart? Paul writes this to uh, his young apprentice Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. We talked about haughty a couple weeks ago. Basically, hang out with people that make more than you and hang out with people that make less than you. Uh, Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves Uh, Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Look at what Paul's talking about. Take hold of that which is truly life. That is the thing that we are striving for. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, when we talk about being rich in this present age, we all fall into that category. Uh, Just so that I know, how many of you have traveled to some country that is less well off than America at some point in your life? Raise your hand if you've traveled to some country. So you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Have any of you ever put your salary into globalrichlist.com? Anybody ever done that experiment? All right, it's fun. Go to globalrichlist.com and just type in your salary, and it tells you what percentage on the global scale you fit into, and you could put in American minimum wage, and you find that you're in the top 1% of global wealth. Just that's the the nature of living in America is that our perspective is totally different. The fact that we're here in this room, climate controlled, walls, roof, lights, a projector to look at things, these are luxuries that the world does not know. And it is something that we take for granted on a regular basis. Guys, this is pristine facility that you are sitting in from a global perspective. You are in the nicest place that the world has ever known. I'll just kind of keep reminding myself of that. <laughs> so it's, it's incredible, and we love it, and we get used to it. And we have to walk in this tension of how do we pursue a life of generosity while living here and not existing in the guilt of being here. And that can be hard for some of us because we kind of get into this. When we start talking about generosity, all of a sudden we start feeling like every coffee we drink we should be guilty for. And every, every mile that we drive is a waste of money. And we start getting into this mentality that how can we do this when there are people around the world that have need. Here's what I want to encourage you with. I think Paul is very clear with Timothy and helpful with Timothy. He says, first of all, instruct those that are rich not to be haughty. That's an important attitude. But not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The first thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to peel away our hope from what money can provide. Now this can be very difficult because like I said, there's always that one thing that's just out of reach. Everybody's got a renovation they want to do. Everybody's got a repair that they want to make. Everybody's got one more thing that they want to add into their life. All of us have those things that we're looking for and Paul's challenging us to not put our hopes in those things, but on God who richly provides all things. This is a discipline. It's something that does not come naturally to us. Money can often be the clearest and most uh, easy to grab a hold of solution to the things that we're facing right now. I can't afford X, but if I had money, I would be able to, so therefore money is the thing that I need. And Paul's telling Timothy, instruct people not to put their hope in riches. Then he challenges them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The next thing he challenges us is to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So our job, and as we communicate, celebrate generosity, our mission, our ministry is not exclusively to give money away and say, I hope that helps. That is not our job. Our job is to do both things, to be rich in good works, to take care of people both in our community and also around the world, and to be generous, to share what God has entrusted to us. It's important that we take on both the attitude and the activity of people that have received God's grace. So generosity at its core is investing the resources that God has entrusted to us, bringing God's compassion into the lives of people. So over the next few weeks, we're going to examine our heart for generosity and the kind of impact that it can make. And so we're gonna start by looking at a global perspective. We're going to look at God's heart for the nations, what God desires when he looks at the world. So to do this, we're going to do a very brief summary of a couple of things that God has said to us over the course of history, and then we're going to dig into how God expresses his heart for the nations. So first of all, Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave them what we refer to often as the first great commission when he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That was God's instruction to Adam and Eve before the fall. Their job was to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be productive. Farm, garden, invent technology, build up. Make this place your own, but let the presence of God be known around the world. Fill the earth and subdue it. That was God's heart for the world before sin ever even entered the picture. And then uh, after sin had entered the picture... God begins to bring his nation, Israel, together. He calls out Abraham, and he tells Abraham in chapter 12, what's known as the Abrahamic Covenant, he says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now this is an important statement, and it sets God's heart, God's mentality, his picture, his understanding of the world, that even though his story was very uh, Israel-centric in the Old Testament, It was not Israel exclusive. His heart was for the nations. And whenever you read the nations, you can read all people, the ethnos, every person, every place, everywhere. God's heart is for all people to be blessed by him. Just as a side note, this is why as a follower of Jesus, there is not an ounce of room for an attitude of racism in any single person, any place, anywhere, because that is not God's heart under any circumstances. His heart is always for all people everywhere, and if our heart is not for all people everywhere, then we are not reflecting the heart of God. So that's one application. Another application is in how we approach seeing God's mission. His love is for the world, that they would know him and be reconciled to him. We see it again in the two Great Commission passages, Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8. In Matthew 28, Jesus has completed his earthly ministry. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all people, everywhere. This story that began in Israel... And in a story where there were Jews and everybody else that were called Gentiles, God is saying, I want this story to go out from Israel and into all peoples, all nations, everywhere. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. In case that wasn't clear enough, he gets even more clear in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the very core of Israel, the center. In Judea, that's the broader Israel. That's everywhere that encompasses Israel, Jerusalem and Judea. This is our people. And Samaria, the cross-cultural people that you really don't like but are our next-door neighbors. That's who Samaria was. And to the very ends of the earth, everywhere we can go and see people, God says, that's where I want you to go with my name. Carry my name into those places. Go. God's heart is for the nations. It's important that we understand this. It's also important for us to realize that we were the destination of those great commissions this is a story that started in Israel this was not an American command this was a story that started in Israel and that obedience carried the message here America hadn't even been invented when Jesus gave that command yet the gospel came to this place and invested in this place and people have received the gospel and we have churches and people responding and now we are going to other places sending people into other nations with the name of Jesus and that's always got to be the case but do you know where the primary mission focus in the world is? The, the greatest missionary effort that's happening right now that's in, in this exact moment, just a current churning of missionary activity is South Korea sending missionaries to the U.S. to preach the gospel. We are now, again, the recipients of a huge effort of mission to come and bring the gospel of Jesus to this place. Even while we are sending people out, we need to be receiving the missionary work of Jesus, because people need to hear the gospel. We need it. We shouldn't let our pride say, we we don't need the gospel. And we want people to be here preaching that have that missionary passion that are ready to bring the gospel to the nations, including the U.S. But I want you to hear this. God's heart, repeated throughout the scriptures, is for all people to hear his name. So while we have a local commission, We have a mandate to carry out the name of Jesus in our community. So often, I mean, you look at the scriptures, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Thessalonians, and Romans, and all of these books that Paul's writing, he does not write into every one of those churches and say, everybody go somewhere. He doesn't write into every local church and say, blow it up, y'all should be leaving and going to the nations. That's never how he applies the message of God's heart for the nations. But at the same time, he calls those local churches to not be so self-focused and myopic that they lose sight of the nations. And that's where we're going to talk a little bit more. I want to talk about the global impact of local generosity. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. All right, there's context to that, and I'll fill you in in just a second, but one more. Go to 2 Corinthians 9 12 through 15. Paul writes this also to the Corinthians. He says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. These two passages are both referencing the same event or the same moment, and I'm about to read a quote that, um, in all honesty, when I wrote the quote in my notes, I did not know that Preston was going to be here, but Preston Sprinkles here this morning, and this is a quote from Preston, so he's here, and this is what he said. Preston, if you'd like to come up and read it, you can. (laughs) Um, So it says this. Uh, This is the context for the Jerusalem collection. It all starts in Acts 11:27 through 30, where a prophet named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. In response to the famine, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The relief was a financial gift collected from various churches in Greece and Asia Minor. And sent to the impoverished churches in Jerusalem. This gift has been called the Jerusalem collection. About this collection, Paul has much to say. Sometime between Acts 12 and 15, Paul met with Peter, James, and John to talk about Paul's future ministry to the Gentiles. At the end of the day, the one thing these leaders told Paul was, remember the poor in Jerusalem, which Paul was very eager to do, according to Galatians 2.10. And by remember, Paul didn't mean cognitive recollection, rather, Paul set out on a mission to bring financial relief to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So in late autumn of AD 49, we all remember that fall, (laughs) Paul embarked, (laughs) Paul embarked on his second missionary journey, which was largely aimed at collecting money from the wealthier Gentile churches in Asia Minor and Greece to give to the poor believers in Jerusalem. What's crazy about this is so often Paul is writing and working to cultivate financial generosity among the many churches that have been planted around the world to minister to other brothers and sisters in Christ, either back in Jerusalem or in other places. It's hard to imagine, but sometimes when we read scriptures, we don't really think of them through a financial lens, but many of the things that Paul writes about have this component to them, and his entire second missionary journey was essentially a fundraising trip, in addition to being a gospel preaching opportunity, it was a fundraising trip to help build resources up for uh, the Jews back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. So, what's important about this? is that Paul sees the multiplying global movement of Christianity as an opportunity to increase generosity worldwide so that the brothers and sisters in Christ can grow together in fellowship and partnership through financial support. That is the global impact that a local church can make. He would write to every church and he would say, like he said to the Corinthians, he said, I said this to the other churches but when I come to you, have set aside money that I can collect and take with me to Jerusalem to go and minister to the saints there. Paul's vision was that the local churches around the world would be supporting and ministering to each other and taking care of each other. When we started Anthem in 2009, uh, Thousand Oaks was the eighth highest per capita income in the nation. I don't know what it's at now, but it was a, it was an impressive stat. And one of the things that we had dreamed about was in a culture where greed and covetousness and self-indulgence defines us, what would it look like if we preached a gospel that brought an entirely new culture of generosity and compassion and mercy and charity? What if we could take those resources, those funds that people have built up and we could give kingdom mindsets to people that possess those resources and we could unleash them for the work of the gospel around the world. What if we could do something like that? That would be pretty cool. That was what we said. I think that was a quote. That would be pretty cool. We want generosity to be a part of our story. A, because we believe it's the gospel itself, that God has generously given us all things. But B, because we believe that we are here for a reason look, I don't, I don't think you need to feel guilty about living where you live. I think God has given you who you are and what you are and put you in places. He, he put me in Steve and Connie Larson's home to be born into Newberry Park and raised in Ventura County and all of the things that are true about my life. I was not born in Papua New Guinea. I wasn't born in eastern China. I wasn't born in different places where I would have had a completely different upbringing. I was born here. Many of you have worked hard and built up a life and, and even come out of hard circumstances to produce a, a lifestyle that you have earned. But even in that, God gave you your ingenuity, your personality, your intelligence, your network, where you were born, who you were raised with, how you connect. It's all His. So what we have, we don't need to feel guilty for, but we do need to be responsible with. We need to approach these things with a mentality that God has produced in us, a way for us to live our lives that honors him, regardless of where we started or how we're doing or where we're at. We all, every person around the world that follows Jesus is called to faithfulness in that. And part of our call to faithfulness is a call to generosity, where we are, who we are. Let's take care of people that are serving Jesus around the world. So here's the wild thing. I asked Mark this in the first service. Uh, The average salary of one of our pastors that we support in uh, Nepal, so Babu has 17 churches that connect to him, and the average salary is $60 a month for those guys, and they do incredible work, incredible work on $60 a month. These guys are faithful and diligent and ministering and preaching and loving people and and baptizing people in raging whitewater rivers. You would think there would be a calmer river that they could baptize in, but that's a beautiful picture. They're doing a great job. And we're able to support ministry, multiplying ministry at a relatively I mean just it's hard to even imagine $60 a month. Like what budget item in your personal budget is $60 a month? Your gym membership, whatever. It's just like that funds a pastor and his entire ministry and his family for each month and we have 17 of those guys that we're supporting through Touch Nepal. It's wild to think of the partnership that exists and what resources mean very seemingly very little to us have a massive impact on a global community and we get the opportunity to partner in that. We also partner with uh, Zoe International. And this is an important thing, and I'm kind of skipping into my next point, which is accelerating ministry through partnership. Let me just share this passage first, and then I'll talk about Zoe. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He says this, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So again, Paul talking finances with the church at Philippi, tells him that when he was on mission in Thessalonica, the Philippians were supporting him financially so that he could do that work. Now if you're familiar with 1 uh, Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians, we worked night and day so as not to be a burden to you. So Paul tells the Thessalonians in chapter 2, we did everything we could not to be a financial burden to you. At the same time, he's telling the Philippians, you guys supported us so that we could do that ministry. That's your ministry that that's your fruit what happened in Thessalonica is because you supported financially a work somewhere else so here's the thing we have limited ability to do things on a global scale here we don't speak Nepalese I don't know if anybody does Mark he says Jamesy, e and he's got some he's working it he's doing the uh, are you doing Rosetta Stone something like that <laughs> he's working it he's learning Nepalese we don't speak Thai. We don't live there. Even if we were to try and live there, we don't have the resources to carry out the, uh, the role well. So Zoe in Thailand, they are doing incredible work. They're rescuing kids out of trafficking situations, primarily sexual trafficking. They have built up a home, a reputation. They work hard with the government in partnership with the government uh, to rescue kids out of trafficking situations. For a long time, Thailand denied that it even had a trafficking problem. They are just getting to the place where they are acknowledging that they are having a problem, and they're embracing Zoe and using them as a primary force to help rescue kids. It's incredible to watch this happen. It's amazing. We can't do that. Like that, that might be your story at some point in your life, but right now we are not there, we're here. There's a, Zoe tells a story of a guy that went to Bangkok and uh, on business and he saw the, the trafficking that was happening and his heart just broke for the trafficking situation. So he rented an apartment in Bangkok and just started grabbing kids off the street and putting them in his apartment and then going to the grocery store and buying food, just trying to get these kids somewhere where they weren't being trafficked and run around and prostituted out. And they said, we love the heart, but that was not the right way to go about it. That's not sustainable. But that's what our heart does. We just want to do whatever we can whenever we can to stop what's going on where it's happening. And and this is an opportunity for us to accelerate ministry in powerful ways by partnering globally with Touch Nepal and with Zoe we get to do these things and I I say this not so that we can say yeah we rescue kids and yeah like it Paul says I seek the gift or "I, I seek not the gift but the fruit that increases to your credit it's not for us to tout the fruit like for the Philippians they're not going around saying hey see what's happening at Thessalonica that was us that's not their attitude that's not what they're doing but Paul wants to acknowledge to them that their participation financially has multiplied their ability to minister as a local church. We have a calling to do good here. We're to be rich in good works here. You are to be faithful to carry the name of Jesus into your neighborhoods, into your communities, into your workplaces, onto the sports fields, into your classrooms. Like you have a responsibility to do life and ministry here, absolutely but we can multiply those efforts by investing resources in global partnerships so that at the same time that we are preaching Jesus here, kids can be getting rescued in Thailand and the gospel can be preached into the darkest places of Nepal and that is a privilege and an opportunity that we have with the resources that we've been entrusted to carry the name of Jesus into the darkest places of this world. It's an incredible opportunity to accelerate ministry through partnership. I have shared these things with you guys because I think there's a, uh, you may have heard this verse before, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then typically the offering plate gets passed right after that yeah. moment, right? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that verse, God loves a cheerful giver. It can come across with a heavy hand sometimes and it can even feel weird. Like if you already have a chip on your shoulder, your attitude is typically like, so God wants my money and he wants me to smile while I'm giving it. That's too much. Like it, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around what God is asking of us when, he sa- when Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the, here's the thing with being a cheerful giver. God doesn't just want your money Have you ever heard the phrase, God doesn't have a money problem? (laughs) God doesn't have a money problem. Like, there is not a single dollar that God doesn't have access to. There's nothing in the world that God wants to do that he's like, man, I just can't afford it this month. (laughs) Like, that's never, ever God's attitude or situation under any circumstances ever that's never been the case. So God doesn't just want your money so that he can get stuff done. He wants you To get him. He wants you to understand his heart. Who is this God and why does he love so big? Why does he want so badly for every human being to experience his grace and his kindness? Because he loves He loves so much this world and every single human being that exists. His heart breaks and breaks and breaks. That is the compassion of God to love. And so when God calls us to give and to partner with him in ministering to these people, he wants us to get what we're doing. And to embrace the heart of God and to love with him so that by the time we get to that place where we are handing over money, our understanding of who God is and what he's doing is so full that our heart explodes with joy when giving happens. That is why God says that he wants a cheerful giver because he wants us to get it. God loves it when you get it. I want us to get it I want a big number because that's just fun let's get half a million dollars and just give it to Zoe and touch Nepal and church plants let's do something amazing like that that would be awesome but again that's, that's secondary to the fact that God wants us to know him and to start to act like him so as we think about what it's going to look like for us to change our hearts a little bit I wanted to walk through what that process looks like because it's a bit of a heart uh, a heart process to become a cheerful giver and it's also something that happens uh, that needs to happen on a repeated basis Uh, Bob, I saw you. Is Jen here? Jen's here. Jen's my dental hygienist, and she does a great job. She's fantastic. Um, So I say this with all the love in the world for you, Jen. Uh, But it can be terrifying to go to the dental hygienist. Um, You can do all the work of brushing your teeth and flossing, and still, they're just in there like, so uh, did you brush this month? And you're like, yes. (laughs) Mm, Okay, are you flossing? And I'm like, yeah, I do. You don't do this, Jen. No, you're not very guilt-inducing at all. You're very gentle, kind, and you appreciate the work that I do on my teeth. <laughs> 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 but it's like it doesn't matter how hard we try. It feels like there's always that buildup. There's always that buildup. And it's because your mouth is just a disgusting culture uh, that's always, all oh right, no. Nah, <laughs> metaphor can die. But we are we're in a culture where there's constant pressure on us to think differently and act differently, right? Just think about Apple's announcement cycle. Like it's just designed every few months to just get you re-upped on your desire for a new thing. You think about the new car cycle. It's just designed to release the new designs and the the new features just every few months just to keep it on the forefront of your mind. Our world is built on that. It's built on you just need something a little bit better than what you have that wears on you over time. It builds up like plaque on your teeth over time and we need to be disciplined to work against that. So I just wanna share some, uh, a, a process that you can go through to help remove some of this cultural buildup of greed and covetousness and self-indulgence that just happens over time and it's very simple. It's just the application of the gospel in our lives. So number one, you remember the gospel of grace. Now, this might sound like an oversimplification, but there's a writer named Jerry Bridges that does a great job saying we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Daily, we need to be reminded of the fact that we are Small and struggling and sinful and broken, and we fall short of the glory of God. And that's the beauty and the power of the cross is that He takes us in our brokenness and He restores us to a right relationship with God. And He breathes into us the breath of life, and we are made new and we walk in a resurrected life. You don't need to hear that once, you need to hear that every day of your life and it's not always that somebody's gonna preach it to you because sometimes we just don't have that person that every single day is gonna be like hey can I remind you of the gospel today so you gotta take some ownership of this and remind yourself of the gospel daily you need to remember the gospel of grace the second thing is if you are reminding yourself of the gospel of grace it should lead you to repentance the kindness of God leads us to repentance repentance is it's gotten some bad PR over the last 30 or 40 years but it's a great word It's a necessary word for the application of the gospel because what happens is when we understand the gospel as as your understanding of the cross grows I don't know if you've ever heard this before as your understanding of the cross grows your understanding of your own sinfulness also grows you realize how big the chasm was between you and God that Jesus satisfied when he brought you into a right relationship with God and we need that we need to be repenting because we are broken And so we turn to God, not one time in repentance, but in regular repentance. We go to him and confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's good to repent because it brings you to that place of need. I need my Savior today and eternally. And so we repent. And specifically, we repent of our dependence on money. Our dependence on money to save us, to fulfill our desires, to build us up emotionally, personally, status-wise. We repent of our dependence on money. Then, number three, we determine to act differently. So to do life differently. In light of my brokenness, in light of my for- the forgiveness that I've received, what is going to change? That's the nature of repentance. You don't repent and then go right back to what you were doing before. You repent and turn towards the grace of Jesus to experience more of his sanctifying power. So you, determine to act differently. Make a plan. Process it if you were struggling with greed and covetousness before and you repent of that you need to make a plan to act and think differently and pursue a greater relationship with Jesus and that's the the beauty of the gospel is that it's not up to us he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to act differently he gives us the grace to grow from there so we determine to act differently and then the hardest step of the entire process number four is to follow through with your determination if you're going to act differently, then you have to do that and do that and do that some more. And that's how life change happens through the, through the gospel. Jesus brings us new life and the Holy Spirit sanctifies and joins us in our participation in this process. And what happens when you follow through and you start to grow in the grace of Jesus? Anybody know? It's number five up there. It's not that hard. It's not a mystery. I didn't do fill in the blanks. So I'm not that good with PowerPoint. It's <laughs> worship Jesus what happens when we're sanctified is we worship joy just starts to bubble out of us the experience of being transformed by the gospel of grace pours out of us in worship and do you know what is counted in worship giving you see what we put it on our cans it says worship by giving it's part of how we communicate what is true about giving is it's an act of worship in the Old Testament, they would bring their gifts to the temple with like parade, with song, with dance, with, with music that would bring their gifts to the temple as an act of praise. Worship is how we are cheerful givers. When we get Jesus and our giving becomes an act of worship, it's cheerful giving. It's a good thing. It's not a guilt-induced thing. It's not a religious thing. It is a joyful, worshipful thing. And that's what we want to strive for. So, big picture, to summarize it all, we want everybody to experience the gospel of grace. And we think that has specific application in how we view our money, our resources, our time, our energy, and it changes the way that we give those things. And so we want to call ourselves to that on a regular basis. That's why we do Celebrate Generosity, so that there's always this moment on the calendar to stir and to agitate and to do differently. Because we know that there's buildup over time. I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's challenging to you. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next couple of weeks getting really uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom of God, and I hope you enjoy that and that this is a good and stirring and challenging time. So here's what I want. I want to do, and um, the worship team is going to come up. This is a weird one. I always feel awkward putting these out there because. You always feel strange if you're the person that says no. But I want to ask if you're ready and willing to pray for a readiness for generosity. And what, I, what I'll say with this is, is I want us to pray together as a church family and ask Jesus to stir our hearts to greater generosity. Even if you've been generous, this isn't, a, this isn't calling you out for not being a generous church. I think we have a crazy generous church. But we want to we want to be open to what Jesus wants to ride on our hearts today, not yesterday. We want a fresh faith adventure, and we want to be ready for that. So if you are willing to ask Jesus to speak into that, I'm going to ask you to stand up and open your hands up while I pray for you. So you can decide if you want to do that. Jesus with our hands open we want to ask you to uh, to meet us in this posture we are here to submit ourselves to you to give ourselves to you to serve you our king to present ourselves to you as living sacrifices Jesus we are here with our hands open for you in this I pray that you would stir up in us a fresh faith Lord put that sense of adventure in our hearts that you are stirring something in us in many of us Jesus you have written a generosity story for years and years and we ask freshly Jesus would you do it again would you do it again we want more Call us to something. Shape us in a new way to express your heart to this world. Jesus, we want to see your name glorified. We want people to look at your name and just melt in gratitude that Jesus, you are a good and beautiful king. So fill us up with your presence, with your spirit, with your heart. We want your way for this world. Use us, my Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.